Welcome to Murder in the Black with Steph and M.B. Welcome back to Murder in the Black. It is your host, Steph. As always, I'm pleased to be back with you. And I feel like Tommy Davidson on the episode of Martin when he said, Did you miss me? Because I missed y'all. Did y'all miss us? In case you were living under a rock last week, we decided to not release an episode on our True Crime Thursday simply because our kiddos were on spring break. But it is close to season three finale, and this, what you're listening to, is a bonus episode. So our announcement at the top of this episode is, drumroll please, Wish I had some sound effects. But our announcement is that MD and I will be doing a live podcast episode this Friday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. We want you guys to, whatever platforms you listen to us on, whether that be Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, whichever platforms you get our updates about our podcast on, we want you to join us on that platform. We're going live simultaneously on all of them to do a live podcast with you guys. I'm so excited uh, because it's a way to end our season three in a very big way, and it's going to just be a party. So grab your wine because we ain't got time for coffee because it's going to be nighttime, okay? Grab your wine and join the party this Friday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. So let's get into our true crime case for the day. I've entitled this case, Not Too Cold. And... Initially, when I entitled this case, I did not think of this comparison, but as I started to record and look over my notes, I was immediately reminded of Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Y'all remember that story. You know, shady little Goldilocks was lost in the forest and she stumbled across the Three Little Bears home. Like a true Karen, she invites herself in and she stumbles upon the family's belongings. And every time she would get to baby bears belongings, specifically food, she would always say, this is not too hot, not too cold, but it's just right. And this case definitely reminds me that regardless of how cold a case goes, how many years pass, like the old folks say, it's always going to come out. Dirt is always going to come out in the wash. And justice will eventually be served. May not look like justice, but everything will come out and the truth will be revealed. This case is about LaCoy McQueen. And when we catch up with LaCoy, it's the late 90s. It's 1996 to be exact. And she was attending college. She attended Shaw University, which is an HBCU, in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I just want to parenthetically say a little note, my two cents. Y'all, I am educated, and I do know how to pronounce words the proper way. However, comma, I am from Dallas, Texas, and I'm country, So sometimes everything I say is not going to be said the proper way. And I 
know that y'all are truly my family here on this podcast because I can say that and y'all going to be okay. But some of y'all be trying to come for me like I'm not educated, baby. I'm educated. I know how to say it the proper way, but I'm a little country. So you want to deal with it, okay? Deal? All right, y'all. So she's there in Raleigh, North Carolina, and many describe LaCoy as smart, friendly, a lover of knowledge, ambitious, and very driven. When she arrived at Shaw University, it was not a matter of what she was going to what she was going to major in, you know, like most of us, I feel like don't know when we get to college, what we want to do. We may have an idea, but we're like trying to fine tune it for the first couple of years in college as well as, you know, party a little bit, <laughs> but not for LaCoy. LaCoy knew exactly what she wanted to do at a very young age. She knew she wanted to become a doctor. So when she got to Shaw University, she immediately majored in pre-med so she could take all her prereqs so she could immediately get into her career as soon as possible. But not only did she decide what she was going to be and decided to study science and medicine, but she met two close friends. You know, usually when you're a freshman, you have like freshman orientation week or a couple of days before school actually starts, you have an opportunity to meet your peers in your class, right? And she actually met two women there by the name of Barbara and Stephanie. They became friends so fast, you know, and that best friend line was immediately blurred and they became sisters to LaCoy. So she was just very excited. It was like, I'm starting my career. I'm building long-time relationships. But not only that, she met a man, as people often do in college. You start to build those um, romantic relationships named Chris Loing. And they met and immediately became head over heels for one another. Now, Chris did not attend Shaw University. Instead, he attended North Carolina State, which was not too far from Shaw, and, you know, they met each other because the schools were in close proximity. So whenever you have a situation like that, a lot of students are, you know, going back and forth to campus events and, um, you know, f- going to local spots with one another. And so, you know, it was very easy to meet a person from another university. And that was the case for LaCoy and Chris. Now, Chris and LaCoy shared some of the same qualities. As I mentioned previously, LaCoy was very driven. She was determined. She knew exactly what she wanted to do. And that was the case for Chris. He wanted to go ahead, attend North Carolina State. And after he graduated, he decided that he was going to go into the military and move up in the ranks and like start his career that way. But I think the one thing that attracted LaCoy to Chris was that he was like a true Southern gentleman. Like he, I mean, think think of a person or think of a man who still opens doors, right? Because that's like, who does that anymore? I mean, I wish they did. That's why they say chivalry is dead, y'all. 
you know, Chris would open the doors for her. He would make sure she was good, make sure she had everything that she needed or wanted. And he truly just treated her like a princess. So she just got a great feeling about him. She knew that their relationship was going to like, you know, stand the test of time, you know, and how, you know, you know, those butterflies that you get. She had that well into the early months of their relationship. And she knew that it was going to be LaCoy and Chris forever. Okay. But on May 16th, 1996, um, a day right before college break, began. LaCoy went missing. So here's what we know. LaCoy told her roommates, which were her best friends that I mentioned earlier, Barbara and Stephanie. She told them that night that she was going to meet up with Chris and that she would pretty much be with him all night, um, but she would be back. Now, I think most of us Um, who have been in college, or if you're about to go to college, you should have kind of like this buddy system. Now, this was 1996, y'all. So this was way before cell phones, um, social media, DMs, all of that, okay? So they had a buddy system of sorts. Whenever one of them would go out, and if plans changed, like they said, hey, I'm going to go here, but then they decided to spend the night, they would call and leave a message on the answering machine. That way, everybody was up to date with the information and they had the current information, right? So, LaCoy was scheduled to do this if something changed. However, you know, Stephanie and Barbara woke up the very next day and they didn't know where she was. She never left a message which was totally out of the ordinary for her, um, and she didn't come home. So those were red flags immediately in the situation. So by May 17th, which was the very next day, right, they wait until the afternoon, but they're getting worried. Barbara and Stephanie are like, this is not like LaCoy. First of all, everybody was packing up and getting ready to leave. They couldn't understand why she wouldn't come back to her things, Um, And so they called Chris to see where LaCoy was because that's the last person who she said she was going to be with. Chris said they did have plans, but LaCoy never showed up. So he really had no idea where she was. The roommates are anxious. I mean, they probably have surpassed anxiety at this point. They are panicked. They can't think of where she would be. They know that most of her things are still at the apartment, if not all of her things are at the apartment. So they reach out to the police. The police, of course, you know, they attempt to reassure Barbara and Stephanie that LaCoy is likely okay. Like, you know, she's a, we know this routine, don't we all? She's okay. She'll be back. She's grown. She can go missing if she would like. Um, and the fact that she was a college student, I'm sure did not help. you right. Like anytime I think you're dealing with missing teenagers or missing early young adults, I feel like the police are very likely, more likely than not to just dismiss it to the fact that the person will come back up. They're probably just, you know, they probably did it intentionally and they'll be back. But 
LaCoy's roommates really stressed to the police that they knew that LaCoy would not have done this. Like, something is wrong. Because LaCoy only left with an umbrella, her car keys, and 50 cents. Okay, you heard me right. 50 cents. Now, I don't know why they knew the exact change (laughs) of what she had in her pocket. But there's not much you could even do with 50 cents. In 1996. I mean, I feel like you could probably make a phone call on a payphone. Yep, that was a thing. So, for those of you who are super young listening to this podcast, payphones were phones that were by gas stations or in a popular place like movie theaters and stuff like that. And you could put some coins in a machine and make a phone call. Okay, so she didn't even have any money to do anything like so the fact that she was that she hadn't been home, she hadn't returned back home for any money. She didn't leave a message. She don't have clothes, change of clothes. This all proved her friend's points that, you know what, she would not have done this on purpose. So the police allow some time to go by. Right. Because they have to allow some time. Um, to make a missing persons report. Um, And the one thing that stuck out to police officers when they questioned Barbara and Stephanie was the last person who she was supposed to be with was Chris. And if they needed some more information, they felt like Chris was a good place to start. So the police actually go out and attempt to question Chris They knock on his door and nobody answers. So they're thinking, LaCoy's missing. Chris is not answering the door. Is he okay? Did something happen to the both of them? What situation are we dealing with? So they were persistent in knocking on the door. They when they continued to not get an answer, they reached out to the RA who was on duty. They are now doing a welfare check. So what initially started off as questions to get more information about where LaCoy was is now there's a safety issue to where Chris is. The RA comes and opens the door, but they can't even fully get into the door because Chris stops them because he actually is at home. And the police ask, they're like, hey, you know, can we come in? We we want to question you about LaCoy's disappearance, see what you know. And Chris says, well, you know, I'd rather we just kind of talk out here, um, you know, from the doorway because my roommate is asleep. So the police, they find this a little suspicious. And right behind him as Chris is telling them, like, no, you can't come in. They see a woman and she comes to the door and they inquire like, oh, are you Chris's roommate? And she says, no, like Chris and I are dating. So y'all call, you know, pause for the calls, as I like to say. Chris, not only did Chris not answer the door, he comes in line to the police. Okay. He comes in line. So the police are just like, okay, you know, they're trying to still collect information at this point. They don't even really care that he is seeing somebody else because at this point, like they're just trying to get some, some answers. So Chris says, you know, listen, 
I haven't seen LaCoy. The last time that I was with her was about a week ago. Um, you know, we went to a convenience store. She was supposed to meet him on the 16th, which was the day that she went missing, but she never showed up. So the police are skeptical, um, but they don't have any additional evidence to arrest him, right? Because we've already talked about how even though someone can be shady, appear shady, you may catch them in a lie as law enforcement, if there is not anything connecting them to a said crime or said disappearance, in this particular case, they can't arrest anybody. You know, they just can't. It's, it's just a hunch. And they are going to continue to collect as much evidence as possible um, until they can make an arrest. So the story goes public. A 20-year-old 20 college student, headlines are made, and the community of Shaw University and North Carolina University is kind of like in an uproar because they're trying to figure out what happened to LaCoy. But nothing really was brought to the forefront from her name being included in the news as a disappearance. No evidence came to light as a result of the headline. So the police are still looking for some type of leads, but they keep ending up right back at zero. So they take the liberty a couple of days later after LaCoy is missing to go back, circle back, and talk to LaCoy's roommates once again. On this particular visit, they reveal some new information. They tell the police that LaCoy actually was pregnant, and she found out a couple of weeks before she went missing. They also revealed that Chris didn't want to keep the baby. And LaCoy was was and found herself in a very difficult situation, right? She was just battling the fact that she wanted this career and she was on the fast track to becoming a doctor and fulfilling all of her dreams. But not only that, she had a significant other who was not on board with having a baby. And I think that always makes a decision like this even more difficult because it's already a difficult situation. And LaCoy just was going back and forth with herself, but also seeking the advice of her friends, trying to figure out what was she going to do. Now, her friends, they, to me, they were more than supportive. They are what I call a true tribe. Because I think you can say in um, words that, you know, oh, girl, I support you, whatever you want to do, you know, um, just let me know. But a true tribe flips that on its head and they say, you know what? I really want to walk through this decision-making process with you. I want to challenge you. I want you to think about different scenarios. I want to play all this thing. Like, you know, let's play the whole scenario out. What would it look like if you had this baby? What would it look like if you didn't? Like, that's what a true tribe does. And that's exactly what Barbara and Stephanie were for LaCoy. And they ultimately told her, like, you know exactly what you want to do, LaCoy. And LaCoy reckoned with herself, went back and forth and said, you know what? I do. Like, I want to, I want to have this baby. And 
That's exactly what she ended up doing. She decided before she went missing that she was going to have the baby. And in true form, Barbara and Stephanie showed up and they told her, they said, hey, okay, girl, we're going to get a house next semester. After the summer, you're going to have this baby. You're going to finish school. We're going to figure this out. You do not have to um, worry about a support system. We're going to support you through this pregnancy. We're going to have the baby. This is going to be our baby. And we are going to have a baby. And that's what they decided. It was like a group decision. Like, we're going to have a baby. We're going to get a house. We're going to remain roommates, best friends. And that's what LaCoy decided. Now, I don't really know why in some of these cases, so this is kind of a note in addition to, why sometimes a lot of these friends don't reveal this information to the police when they're initially talking to them, when that person initially goes missing. And I think a lot of that is probably just due to the fact that you're overwhelmed, right? You're panicked, you're you're anxious to find the person who is missing in your life. You don't know if they're truly missing or are they going to come back? And you don't want to reveal too much information that is personal. But I wanted to say that if you ever, which I hope no one who listens to our podcast finds themselves in a situation where they're having to report someone missing or report a crime or, you know, disappearance, whatever. But I think it's important that you reveal all the information that you possibly can to law enforcement. Because it gives them the ammo, so to speak, that they need to question others, right? Because if they have the full scope of the information that they need, then they're equipped to then go out and continue to seek the evidence that they need. And this is no shade to LaCoy's friend. I I really feel like a lot of the times when I hear cases like this where they wait to reveal information, it is simply because they are panicked, they are full of emotions, they're overwhelmed, they're forgetful, and they definitely should have grace. But I think if we say what I am saying, which is just a tip, to say all of those things initially, then I think it can help the investigation. It could give the investigation the push that it needs to begin with, right? So the police now know um, that LaCoy was pregnant And they decide that it's at this time that they have the information that they need to talk to Chris. So they invite him in for questioning. And Chris reveals to them, once they kind of tell them, once the police tell them what they know, the police say, hey, you know, hey, we know that she was pregnant. You want to tell us what happened? Chris says, well... You know, you remember when I told you on the 16th we were supposed to meet up? Well, we actually did meet up. Because if you remember, I said that when they did their initial interview with him, Chris said that, you know, I was supposed to meet up with her on the 16th. She never showed. But now the story is changing. He told police that he met up with her at a convenience store, which was their initial meetup spot, and they got into an argument, an argument on whether, you know, about the baby, right? And, you know, what was she going to do? What were they going to do? What was her ultimate decision? He revealed that the, the, um, 
the argument got physical. And when I say physical, he said that according to him, you know, LaCoy pushed him and then a blue car was driving by and it was a car full of, well, not full of, it was just two men inside of this blue car. He said he did not know these two men, right? But he said, obviously, he felt like LaCoy knew them because LaCoy jumped into the car with them, like flagged this car down, jumped into the car with them and left. So the police are like, okay, this is lie number two for him, but maybe it's true. Like we need to go and substantiate and corroborate his story. So that's exactly what they set out to do. And they actually do get a few leads that come into the police department of people saying that they did meet or did see, I should say, LaCoy in a blue car with men. So this story is starting to come together. The story is revealing that, you know what, Chris may be telling the truth. Like, the police are starting to be able to corroborate his story. But what they find out is that the convenience store, which LaCoy was last seen at, was only like a five-minute drive from where Shaw University was located. So they don't see that she returned back to campus. But a question that I had while doing this research is, why did she feel the need to catch a ride back to campus? One, because she had her own car. I said earlier that LaCoy left the house with an umbrella, her car keys, and 50 cent. So she drove to this convenience store. Why would she hop into the car with two men? Now, throughout this investigation, they never say that they find LaCoy's car. They don't talk about missing keys. They this 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 part never comes back up. And it's kind of curious to me. Like I'm just curious to why it doesn't, because it just doesn't make any sense in my mind why she would get into the car with these men, whether she knew them or not. It is weird. She had no reason to be in the car with these men. She had her own vehicle. That's how she met. Chris at this convenience store. So the police, like, as I said previously, they are still trying to just collect evidence. And in their quest of collecting evidence, they're just trying to dig into Chris, the nuances, nuances of him and LaCoy's relationship. And just overall, who is this guy? Right. Because he's lied to us already. Um, and so we need to just find out more about his character, more about who he is. The police go on to actually interview Chris's real roommate. And I say real roommate because, you know, he said that his roommate was this other woman that he was seeing. But the real roommate's name was Devin. And when police talk to him, he just tells them flat out, like, listen, Chris was Chris was a playboy. Or Chris is a playboy. Chris has a lot of women who he sees. This was not necessarily a shock to police as they already encountered one of the women that he was dealing with other than LaCoy when they interviewed him initially. And he says that on the 16th, which was the day that LaCoy went missing, he came into the apartment and he saw Chris arguing with a woman. Now, he said, I'm not sure if it was LaCoy because her back was turned to me. So I come into the room. I see Chris, 
Chris's face and he's arguing arguing with this woman and I only see her back. So it might have been LaCoy. It might not have been LaCoy. He has so many women I can't keep up, right? So he says when he comes in immediately, Chris, you know, Chris asks him, hey, man, can you just like give us a couple of minutes here, a couple of hours to discuss some things and come back? And Devon said, yeah, like, I'll be back. See ya. And that was the last of what he saw of Chris and someone else that was inside of their apartment. So the police obtain a warrant to then go and search, you guessed it, Chris's apartment. Because it's like, okay, well, if that was indeed LaCoy, there may be some evidence there. Now, this is seven days after LaCoy went missing, right? So here's what they find. They find blood on the carpet. They sent that blood, and it wasn't a lot of blood. It was very minuscule. They sent that blood to um, be uh, be analyzed at a lab. And then the police say, okay, you know what? I think we need to be questioning this person who he was with when we initially interviewed him. This woman's name, who he was in the apartment, who Chris was in the apartment with when they initially interviewed him, her name was Shonda. And Shonda tells police, yes, I have a romantic relationship with Chris, but it's casual. And she admits that on the 16th, that she let Chris borrow her car for a couple of hours on that day. She said, you know, he borrowed it for a couple of hours, brought it back. You know, there was nothing out of the ordinary. When they find that out, they then do forensic testing on her car. Nothing was found in her car that was consistent with LaCoy's DNA. So that was kind of like a dud. They also noticed that the car hadn't been clean when they searched it. So, you know, like things like bleach and, you know, a a fresh wash, none of that was there. So, you know, they didn't have any evidence and they did not have a body. So the case goes cold. Now, the case goes cold, but not too cold. Because 10 months later, on March 17th, 1997, a skull was found by contractors, they found a skull, woman socks, um, a shotgun shell casing, and they also found men's underwear. Now, the remains were badly decomposed, so they couldn't definitively determine the cause of death, although it was ruled a homicide. The skull, however, was intact So it was not likely that she was shot. They couldn't see anything, you know, to resemble a shot to the head. Um, As far as the clothes that were found at the scene, they didn't know if homeless people left the clothes or, you know, was it the two men that were the two men's clothing that supposedly gave her a ride? They didn't know. But... Police kind of went back to looking at Chris. He was the last person to see her alive. The case was purely circumstantial, but they have enough 
evidence on March 19th, 1997 to arrest him for first degree murder of LaCoy. However, okay, dun, dun, dun. Six weeks later, they release him because they just don't have enough evidence. Now, I do want to say that this is unfortunate because, right, like a lot of times that I've heard people who listen to our show say, you know, oh, I'm tired of the the boyfriend did it, the husband did it, or the girlfriend did it, the wife did it. But this is a lot of true crime stories. Like it usually happens like this. I think this case is a little different in that there just wasn't enough evidence. And although... Very much like the Armstrong case. If you haven't heard us talk about that case, I definitely want you guys to check it out. Because although it seems like, right, it appears that you have your guy, if the evidence doesn't point to it, whether you truly have your guy or not, if the evidence doesn't support it, well, you're going to have to let that person go, you know? Because it really is not about what I believe. It's about what the evidence says, right? So they have to let him go because the DA says, well, I don't have enough to to prosecute him. Like, so this case would not stand up well in, in trial. We have to let him go. And that's exactly what they do. Now, Chris goes on about his life. He graduates he starts his career. All of those things, all of the ambitions that he desired back in 1996 when he meets LaCoy, he's able to fulfill it. And the case, you guessed it, goes cold again. But this time, it actually is cold for a long length of time. 20 years to be exact. And a detective comes along and he says, you know what? I think we should reopen this up. He sends blood off for DNA testing. And as we have said before here on Murder in the Black, sometimes when these cases go cold, that's probably one of the best things that could happen. Because in the meantime, in between time, technology is evolving and new developments happen and that evidence that was that didn't really have a whole lot of bearings back in 1996 now in 2014 that evidence starts to speak right and they find out that that blood that small amount of blood that they found in Chris's apartment was indeed LaCoy's blood so now prosecutors feel like, okay, you know what? We got something. We got something. They not only reopened the case, but on December 17, 2014, they arrest Chris again for the murder of LaCoy. Now, the prosecution case was this. The motive why he decided to commit this homicide was because she was carrying his unborn child. He didn't want the baby. She did. You know, t- tell us, tell as old as time. You know, I'm cue the violins. I didn't want the baby, and I'm cheating anyway, so you need to, you know, I need to get rid of you. They said there was blood on the carpet. They believed that he killed her in, in the apartment 
um, in which the blood was found, which was his apartment. They believed that he used Shonda's car to move the body. And that's when he transferred the body to where it was found um, in that contractor spot where they were where they were building in Vans County. Now, defense attorney said that, you know what, this is just not enough blood to show a murder. I said before that back in 90, 1996, the blood was very small. Like it was like a, a little, a little bit of blood, you know, that could be, you know, from a cut. It could have been from, you know, a menstrual cycle. Like maybe you were changing your, your uh, tampon or pad. It could have been from anything, right? You And that's that's the defense defense's job. It's to tear the prosecutor's um, case up. I, you know, I don't have to say that it wasn't there. I just have to provide another reason on why it could be there, right? And um, they also said that the blood splatter that was found on the carpet wasn't consistent with the murder. Like I said, it could have been accidental. So many things could have led to the blood being on the carpet, right? They also say that, um, you know, there were no signs of struggle in the bedroom. There were no broken doors, no, you know, things weren't scattered. Everything was pretty much put together. So they just didn't believe that he did it. Of course, they alleged that he did not do it, in fact, and that he was innocent. However, he goes... Well, the trial goes on and the jury comes back and they actually found him guilty of first degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison. Take away. So I actually have two takeaways for you guys. My first takeaway is... LaCoy's friends, Barbara and Stephanie, I just feel like they were phenomenal friends, man. And, you know, it is hard, emphasis on hard, to come by really good friends in this lifetime. It's just difficult. And I think that's a lot, that has a lot to do with the fact that friends a lot of times are seasonal. You know, like you have friends in different seasons and when you're in elementary, when you're in high school, when you're in college. And um, sometimes those friendships do not go through all of the seasons of your life. But I feel like they really helped LaCoy. And they really stood in the gap for her and really encouraged her that she could still reach her dreams, have a baby, and they were going to be there to enjoy the ride with her. Not only that, did they support her in such a big decision, but they also realized that, you know what, something wasn't right. You know, when LaCoy did not come home, they did what you are expected to do as a friend and or family member when a disappearance a disappearance occurs. They immediately reached out to police and law enforcement to get them involved because they knew their friend and they knew that this wasn't typical behavior for her. And they immediately sprung into action. And so I just think friends like Barbara and Stephanie are hard to come by. They are hard to come by. And... Even for LaCoy's short life, I think the that she was able to enjoy that friendship, that camaraderie, that 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 kinship that she shared with her sisters, Barbara and Stephanie, was um, 
it was admirable and I admire it and I definitely strive to be a Barbara or Stephanie no pun intended because y'all know my name is Stephanie too (laughs) but my last takeaway is you know this case really I can't say that it left me stumped but I thought it was different and you might be you know scratching your head and clutching your pearls and saying Steph but you know he was convicted of the crime But the one thing I like about the justice system, at least in theory, follow me, is that it it is supposed to deal in facts, not feelings. Supposed to. Emphasis on supposed to. And as I was researching this case, um, which our friend Piper, by the way, um, a fatal attraction, um, actually told us to cover this case. So shout out to Piper. Um, the one thing I discovered as I was doing this case, I was like, you know, in 1997, when they tried to convict him or, and they arrested him for murder in the first and they eventually let him go six days later, I know some of you are probably like, how did they let him go? You know, like, how did that happen? But the truth is this, like they didn't have enough evidence. They didn't have enough facts. Although everything seemed to point to him. And I think when we are true crime junkies, like I know y'all are, you can say, well, you know, I just feel like this man did. I mean, who else would do it? I mean, he had every motive. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean that somebody's guilty. And if there's not enough facts to convict said person of that crime, well, then you got to let them go. Because that's what our justice system at least calls for. And um, I kind of left this particular case feeling like it was such a tragedy that LaCoy lost her life after finally getting to a place where she was like, okay, I'm going to finish school. I'm going to have this baby. I'm going to surround myself with people who support me. And then she tragically loses her life. But I also feel like, man, Did he really do it? Or is just he the most probable person inside of this case? And I don't think this case is as just straightforward as you may think it is. Or at least for me, it wasn't as straightforward as it was a lot of me feeling like he did it. Um, But not really knowing, you know, because people did say they saw uh, LaCoy in the car with two men. Like, did he purposely give that information to investigators to throw them off? I don't know. That's a question. So, um, yeah, I want you guys to interact with us. Tell me what you think about this particular case. Do you feel like um, Chris did it after all? Um, When Chris was sentenced, he did say that he did not commit this crime. In 2014, he said, I didn't do this. Um, So, What do you guys think? You think he did it? Do you think there's something to the two men um, in the blue car? Let me know what you think. We have a poll that you can interact with us on about this particular case. I will also ask a question because I do want to hear from you. There's an opportunity to hear from you. So if you enjoy our podcast, if you like it, Please rate and review. Leave us some reviews. We love seeing um, what you think about our episodes, what you think about our podcast in its entirety. 
Um, We also want you to share, if you care, with your friends and family and let them know that there are voices in the true crime space that are telling our stories our way, our way, I should say. So we are looking forward to doing our live episode with you guys this week, Friday, March 24th, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. We'll be on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook simultaneously going live. And just in case you miss our live podcast, you can catch the video on YouTube. We will post links for that. And you can also catch us um, on our Spotify um, channel where you can watch the live podcast episode on Spotify. All right. So I look forward to interacting with you guys. Until next time, friends, this is Murder in the Black.